Welcome to the Zombie Coder, where less is more, worse is better, and features have purpose. This is the lead undead software engineer, Andrew, speaking from a small family homestead in the Midwest. It is a very nice day out. In fact, after I finish recording this podcast, I have plans. Plans to go sit on the deck and do some software development from there. As the sun comes down and uh, the air cools. In any event, this podcast is about current goings-on in the world of technology, something I haven't done yet, and recent news as applies to C++, cloud computing, and Python. All of these are things that I use on a day-to-day basis. I I don't think I've discussed it much, but I tend to work on the infrastructure side of computer science. And I do a lot of development with Python and recently a lot of development with C++. I say recently, but uh, the reality is I've done development with C and C++ for years. Then I kind of took a break from it to do some Python in Python world. And now I'm returning back as a project I've been working on is finishing up. There's been a bunch of activity this month in the cloud world we see the release of the Bottle Rocket Linux distribution from Amazon. They call it a Linux distribution, but really it is open source Amazon SDK for people that want to write applications on the Amazon uh, Kubernetes configurations or Amazon ECS. It looks pretty interesting from the standpoint of what I would have liked to have seen for a while Alpine kind of gets close, but I think this gets closer. A Linux distribution that really is intended for containers and not much else. This doesn't even have SSH. It is very limited. It's also what looks to me to be very tied to Amazon. I have not tried to run it locally yet. I will probably spin up a uh, Amazon a cluster and see what I can do before I spend more than five or ten bucks on it. One of the cool things here is it does show that Amazon is actively doing development in Rust and has a fair amount of interest in its success. Hopefully that means that Amazon will uh, support the Rust community, especially as we see uh, with Mozilla laying off several Rust engineers. The future of Rust for a little bit there, at least to me, it it took a bit of a hit. I'm not a fan of Rust. Um, It's just... Well, my, my mind is too bent from C++, C++ over the years. But I do think it is nice to see uh, an ecosystem compete for systems programming because these C++, C++ languages have been so dominant there for so long. The other major developments as far as cloud computing goes is Microsoft recently released patches to the Linux kernel to allow it to run as a Hyper-V root meaning that you will not need Windows anymore to run Hyper-V. You'll be able to run a Hyper-V-based virtual machine strictly on the Linux ecosystem, so Linux on Linux as far as Hyper-V goes. I don't know if they're going to open source any other elements of it. I would frankly be surprised, although this is Microsoft in 2020, so who knows? They might go crazy. I think we're kidding ourselves if we ever look at these developments and think they're not self-serving. It is a sign that from the standpoint of the Hyper-V ecosystem, they need Linux support to be good because Linux is so popular on the server world. And they want Azure, of course, to be the go-to solution. So this, while my college self might be saying, don't 
buy in, don't buy in, avoid the evil that is the Microsoft empire. They're trying to embrace, extend, extinguish. Uh, don't do it. Don't believe them. Don't trust them. Um, while my college person uh, might be saying that, I, I think it is in uh, Microsoft's best interest, in the Linux community's best interest, to play nice here. Because what we will see is, of course, more software running on Linux. And if you're a Linux fan, that is a good thing. Now, that does it for the major things I wanted to cover in Cloud World. In C++ and Python worlds, there's a lot of movement as well. So let's start with the big news that C++ 20 has been finalized from a technical standpoint. Now, this isn't that big a deal from the, the area of the standards process, because we did see earlier this year C++ 20 declared to be feature complete. So what this really means is that we are one step closer and the final edition of the standard will hopefully come out later this year uh, before they have to call it C++21, although I don't think they'd rename it anyway. But what are we seeing with C++20? Is it a big deal? Should you reconsider C++ if you haven't already? Well, let's get into that. Um, the first thing I will do is list the new features that we're seeing, and I hope you'll notice a pattern as I list them. So, the major features are concepts, help ease library development, error messages uh, when using libraries, modules, designated initializers, spaceship, more support for const expression and const eval, and coroutine basic library support. And what's the theme that I see here? Well, it is more building blocks in the C++ uh ecosystem for library developers. It's been said that C++20 will be the biggest C++ release since C++11. And that is something that I can understand from a technological level, but from an actual practical level, I don't think so. C++11, when it shipped, uh, Microsoft was a bit slow on the uptake to support it. But for the most part, if you were doing uh, C++ work, you could pretty much use the features uh, straight away, at least in the Linux ecosystem. And in Windows, it wasn't far behind. Uh, it was a couple years before you could really you know, use, use uh, all of the features. Of course, with Visual Studio 2015, it was pretty darn complete at that point. And 17 is also, you know, it's, it's up there. And of course, with 2015 and 2017, you started seeing the cadence of C++ language features, or language uh, standards coming much faster. And uh, with it, the criticism of the, of the language being too complicated. Well... Let's start there. Is C++ getting too complicated? And I hear I hear the moans of many nerds right now saying, yes, oh my lord it is. Uh, please save us from this pile of complexity that is C++. Indeed, I, I would join the Complexity 12-step program if I could. But really i think most of the complexity from c++ lies in that there's a substantial desire to optimize for library design and to make it possible for library designers to create primitives such that your c++ code as a library consumer looks 
far more like Python or Java or uh, Go or Rust than classical uh, C++ code. And I think that's a good thing. It is also amazing the performance you can squeeze out of it. But on the downside, if you are somebody that likes using all those cool features, you can create a mess in no time. And indeed, if you are somebody that interviews as a C++ expert, it gives an endless supply of questions for somebody to look up and tease out if you actually are an expert. And chances are, unless you're on that committee, the answer is no. I know I do not. Uh, used to with a little bit more youth and let's say a little bit more youth and naivety. I used to claim to be a C++ expert. I don't anymore. I I even have sat on my company's uh, C++ coding style committee and come up with uh, various rules that I'm sure people hate me for and would throw eggs and fruit at my face for. But all that said, I do not consider myself a C++ expert. I think the language is far too much uh, for any one person to really grok. Indeed, when it comes to the standard and the uh, new features that have been added, if you start looking at it, you will see very quickly that the majority of well, I say majority, but a substantial portion, let's say that, a substantial portion of the standards document is things that the standard library must contain. And those standard library hackers, they are very gifted and talented, but I will say this, I do not think any of them would be able to tell you the, uh, the specifics of the standard, and indeed, many would have to look things up on a regular basis. Going back to the C++ uh, language, as far as C++20 goes, should you consider a switch to C++ based off of this development? And I'm going to say no. You should not be considering a, C++, a switch to C++ uh, based off of this development. If you're using C++, keep using it and enjoy the new features. But the reality, the reality of language selection should be uh, choosing the best uh, the best tool for the job, the most correct tool for the job, and I don't see you going and pulling C++ off the tool shelf if you wouldn't have already. The reason why for that that I see is C++ 20 is a technical library writer's dream, but meaningless for end users. And we can kind of cover some of that here. Outside of the uh, spaceship operator, which I love, um, I think if you start looking at what it does and where things are, you will see very quickly that library and tool support needs to come before you can really make use of the C++20 features. And let's kind of go over those. So first, modules. Modules are going to wreck the C++ ecosystem. There is no doubt in my mind of that. The way that we include files has been so pivotal and important to build systems that it is at the base level of most uh, configuration for an IDE that you will do. If you want all the IntelliSense or C tags or whatever you want to say as far as intelligent, uh, as far as intelligent editing goes, 
all of that depends on an ecosystem that's been built up for years, years, years. Oh, Lord, years. We're talking about since the 80s, folks. Um, that ecosystem has been built up for include files and textual inclusion and knowing that uh, hash include will go to a file, even though the C language didn't uh, necessarily require that if you read between the lines, um, but that the hash include would go to a file and you could come up with a list of files dependent without uh, doing a lot of processing, just allowing the, the C preprocessor to do its work. Well, that is no longer the case. Uh, if you look at things now, as far as modules go, there is not a one-to-one -one relationship between a module and what must be done. And that's going to make dependency management and knowledge of modules interesting. It's going to be a lot of new work into C++ best practices. As far as tooling goes, Visual Studio 16.8 uh, preview, I tested this out. I've been playing with module support for some time. It works now, but uh, even they, it's, it's fairly broken. I was not able to get a good compile using STL import, uh, despite having installed the libraries. I actually get an error message. Did you install the libraries? Yes, I did. <laughs> if you're on Clang or GCC, there's some support there. I have not tested it there as much. Uh, most of my uh, Linux development is in Python these days. My uh, C++ work tends to be on Windows. But if I'm on the, the Linux environment, uh, one important thing to note, uh, make files, make files you can deal with. Um, the, they, of course, the way you do dependencies there, it's fairly straightforward if you want to hand bake it. As far as things like CMake goes, CMake does not yet have support for modules, which means half of the uh, ecosystem as far as doing Linux development is straight out. As, uh, you need CMake support uh, if you want to have a clean build. And so there is a issue tracker going at Kitware to add module support, but it is not yet done. And it, I don't see it getting done quickly, especially as the interface between the tool chain and the build systems will need to be worked out. And so there you have it. Modules, awesome new feature, but needs a lot of tooling, a lot of support from library and tool vendors. Designated initializers, those are cool. They allow better C compatibility. I'm just going to kind of skip over them. I will say the nice thing about them will be uh, with the designated initializer, you can kind of simulate named arguments in C++. And I think that'll be nice. I could see that becoming a new style. Um, we'll see how, how acceptable it is in the community as far as that goes. I will probably try to use it. I'll probably try to push that as, as a thing, as a style to have uh, designated initializers uh, for functions that take a lot of parameters. But uh, we'll see. The other big elements as far as uh, C++ goes, of course, const expression, const eval. Uh, these are uh, getting a bit of a boost. In fact, I would say now, if you're writing C++, uh, the, the 
const all things should be now const expert all things. It, you can, as of now, with the uh, the STL support for const expert, I think you can use it for most everything if you're careful and really switch to doing things more at compile time. That's been the direction of C++ for a while. I love const eval. I've already switched some stuff over to use it. Of course, this is all in test and prototype code that's not going anywhere, but it is a nice uh, little bit of stuff. Well, finally, let's talk about the big uh, development besides modules, and that is coroutines. And I've done a little bit of work with these. I did set up a, a coroutine uh, to, to uh, assign uh, jobs or, or do a loop over a, a vector, and it was tricky. Uh, they are not really ready for a user to come along. In fact, I, I, would, I would question if they're ready for a library developer to come along. They feel very prototypey to me. As I developed a few uh, coroutine demos, I, I was pleased to see the way that it works on a low level should allow somebody to really do some creative things um, on, on a freestanding implementation as far as coroutines go. I think it will help remove some assembly code uh, here and there as far as uh, switching things on maybe a micro goes. But without a toolkit standing behind it, if you're in Java land, or excuse me, if you're in Python land, a lot of toolkits have added support for async now. And so uh, async, as far as Python goes, or async in Java, uh, excuse me, async in JavaScript, it, it's a very powerful thing, but it's really because the tooling is there. In C++, you got basically a header that defines some very low level pieces of functionality that require a lot of reading to use that are not shall we say, um, there's a lot there that is not intuitive. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, when you start doing this development, you can see how it would be intuitive after you've created the primitive, but there's not a collection of primitives to use, and there's not a good entry point for your asynchronous routines that makes it a problem to try to build them. One thing that I think we really will need to see for coroutines to become useful is toolkit support. So QT or, or Qt, excuse me, QT folk, uh, Qt folk, um, Qt support or Windows Forms support or whatever uh, toolkit du jour that you want to use, I think you're going to want to see coroutine support in there so that the main loop setup is done and things can call back to it. Uh, so you can kind of do this nice uh, message pumping that you see in Python and JavaScript. Once that happens, I think coroutines will be hugely useful and I think we'll see a lot of C++ code that uses them. But as things stand today, that support isn't there. And so there's not really a good use case for them that I can see. I, I could structure some code perhaps uh, to make use of it, maybe on a freestanding uh, product. Like I mentioned, it might help get rid of some assembly, although there's 
if you're doing that, you probably already have a good set of supporting routines anyway uh, that you're not really messing with much and adding coroutines on top of that might not be something you want to do. It is a new bit of the language. Now, all of this, uh, the, the kind of cherry on top for this for me is that in Visual Studio's uh, new tech preview, 16.8, they get rid of a long-standing thorn in my side, and that is Visual Studio is finally adding C11-C17 support. If you are familiar with the C programming language, uh, C99 was not the end of it. Uh, there's been a lot of new developments, and Microsoft has been poor at best at supporting it. But uh, Microsoft now announcing full support for the C11, uh, C17 standard. They are not doing any of the optional bits. I can live with that. Uh, for years, uh, us developers coming over from Linux to Windows have had to do hackarounds to support C99 even in Microsoft's ecosystem. So seeing C11, that's a huge deal. It should really help a portability of code and help move some applications between Windows and Linux just a little easier. There's still a lot there that would need to be done. One of the cool things is that there should hopefully be support in the new new version of Visual Studio for threading using C11 primitives. Now, of course, that is not as widely supported in the Unix ecosystem as the POSIX variants, but it will give you the ability to write a C program using threads that can run, especially if you look at C++ as well, you should be able to write programs using threads that will run on both Linux and Windows without requiring a compatibility layer or a POSIX layer. So again, C++20, what I'm seeing as far as the language goes, of course we have the spaceship operator, I don't think I covered that, actually. The spaceship operator allows a three-way comparison, so that is cool. It's, I don't know what other languages have it. Um, I think typically you use a method, but it should help a little bit on the whole not having to write 50 bajillion operator overloads. Most of the support, besides uh, some of the kind of niceties um, being added to the STL, as far as language features go, are either things you could have done before uh, with your own classes, uh, your own extensions. Indeed, uh, I've backported or seen backported uh, several different pieces of functionality from uh, C17 and C20 uh, to, excuse me, C17 and C20 to the C14 and 11 ecosystems. Um, but the pieces of functionality that are major that will allow new things to happen, those are going to need substantial tooling support. So you're not going to see support for those. On a closing thought on C++, as far as the language goes and complexity goes, I think it's worth thinking that languages like C++ or Python or JavaScript it is not a world where you learn everything. I, I think some people have this impression that learning programming or math, the cover a whole other subject, uh, the rant I want to do sometime, but that learning things is this like mystical advancement from level zero to level 
99, and at 99, you are the master of it. And the more you learn, hopefully, you discover that you learn bits and pieces of things. And you might have a good picture of C++ as a whole, but I guarantee if you look at even the most expert among us, there are areas that they are not not necessarily not experts on, but there are areas that they know less well than others. And as somebody learning something, you do not want to take the attitude of, I have to learn the whole thing on day one. Learn what you need. Learn the basics. And keep learning. Don't stop. And especially as languages now seem to be more evolutionary organisms where there's constantly things being added, it's important to keep learning. And listening to, you know, presentations or, or reading books or whatever you do, but the, the main thought here is you're not going to know the whole thing. Be okay with that and just try to bite off another uh, little bit of the apple. And, of course, it's getting bigger while you're doing that, but keep going. It, it, eventually, you will be able to say on your resume that you are the expert and maybe pass all of the random questions that somebody will look. All right, finally, let's take a look at Python as far as recent news goes. And the big news there is there's a new release of Python coming out. It's going to be Python 3.9. I am crazy excited. Um, Python is, is my go-to favorite programming language these days. And there's a few things there, one of which has bugged me for years, and that is lacking a nice, easy way to merge dictionaries. I, I will link in an article here about doing that and the, the implications here, but Python is adding the logical or operator to dictionaries to allow you to essentially do a update on a dictionary and get back a, a new dictionary. And that I think will help simplify a lot of code um, I have written in the past that needed to do that. I tended to instantiate a new dict um, using uh, the dict uh, keyword. And well, there's not really a lot else there as far as the new major release goes. There are some new uh, utility functions for string that are getting added and a little bit of an improvement for typing. They're going to add support to uh, create list and dict uh, to use the built-ins instead of having to import from typing module uh, to, to create type hints for those. I do quite a few type hints, but in looking through my Python code, I honestly see very little where I won't have to import the typing module still. I, I generally use optional quite a bit in things I write. Um, uh, the new peg parser, that is a nice thing. Uh, the limitations on the grammar might be interesting. The Python parser before had some really interesting and, uh, so we say, gnarly hacks uh, to support it being an LL sub 1 parser. And so it having a peg parser now that should mean that they can extend the language uh, more easily, although peg parsers have their own uh, set of issues as well. It uh, might be more memory inefficient. We will see. I, I haven't had the pleasure of doing any benchmarks yet with the new rev of Python. I have not yet installed it, but I will be excited to try it out. The new uh, release candidate just came out recently, and... 
The final release is scheduled to happen uh, very shortly from when you're hearing this podcast. Indeed, I would not be surprised if you discover this podcast in a couple weeks if it's already happened. So there you have it. A, a flash in the pan of new things going on and some thoughts on them as far as this uh, September of 2020 goes. Some big developments in the C++ world. I do not think uh, C++ 2020 will follow the year of crapitude the way people think it will. Um, although with modules, we'll see. There's some very intense debate I'm still seeing on that from the toolchain uh, perspective. Indeed, I have a suspicion that as much as I would like to see modules remove any need for the C preprocessor and C++, I suspect that no one's going to end up using them. That does it for this episode of this podcast, and I hope to have a few book reviews coming up soon, and maybe some interviews. We'll see. I'm working on uh, things and new content as far as the show goes, and if you like this show, please uh, send me feedback. Uh, let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you would like to see and hear, and uh, anything like that. If you don't like the show, well, I'm doing this for me. So, of course, uh, our music is by Audionautics. This podcast can be found on Stitcher or wherever you like to get your uh, podcasts, except iTunes. I'm not supporting them. And that's it for today. Zombie Coder out.